Hello and welcome to the Drink Tyler Show. Oh, I mean, hello and welcome to the... Welcome to the Joey Show. You know the name of the podcast. It's the Joey Show, okay? Hello and welcome to War Chaps. I'm Grant. I'm Joey. And we don't know what we're doing. Oh. Uh, hey, uh, hey, what are we talking about? We, the War of 1813. We are ping-pong history. History. Um, we said in season one that we were going to go play back to the medieval ages and work our way forward, but, um, we, we, we had a board meeting and the chief executive decided on us, told us, gave us marching orders that, uh, we are to ping pong through history and just trying to hit on some key points in history and nothing is more key in history and changed history anymore than Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah. He changed history forever in the fact that he created the Third Reich. He did. It was and, a result of him that, he, that Germany united. Yeah. And his military tactics overall. And, you know, we, we wanted to start, quote, ping-ponging through history, too. It's just the stuff that we were comfortable talking in our... We just... Uh, the board and us uh, decided we would uh, focus on stuff that we're a little more knowledgeable on and, you know, are more comfortable talking about and some of the more important subjects. We will be um, working, yeah. what? We will, oh, go ahead. We'll be working on doing the early medieval ages stuff. Yes. Just, yes, yes, yes. It's just, it was kind of overwhelming at this point. To be working on it, I mean, we know about it, and I believe there's a quote that you had that you told the board and the chief executive, basically that you know that there was a lot of people, a lot of people died, and a lot of people bled. Lots, lots of people died. Bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad queen, good queen, blood everywhere. Everyone dies. And rats. <laughs> And rats, yes. And creepy witch doctor masks. Wars, blood everywhere. Blood on the ceiling, blood everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, that, anyway, there, all right. your history of the medieval ages. Yes, there we go. We did the episode. Sweet. All right, well, we'll see y'all next week. And really no. the history of the world. That's, yes, that's, that's the history of the entire human race. Yeah. We summed it up. I mean, what, what, is, what more is there to talk about? I mean... There we go. So starting off, I have a question to pose to you because this is just formulated in my mind. It just came to me. Or maybe I read it off the teleprompter. Either one. Um, uh, what was the question? Now I'll get into that question. Can't read now. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte. Good? Bad? Or otherwise, first answer, short answer. You want me to answer? Yes. Well, I feel like this question can be answered with a question. I will, no, no, no. I will tell you that question. I will answer that question, or either of us, I think, should answer that question once we talked about the whole Napoleonic Wars, because I have a very clear cut answer for it. But before I say that, I think we might need to look at just 
some facts and look over the Napoleonic Wars before we claim whether he was good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah, of course. See, but, ah, this makes y'all listen to the end of the episode. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, I will have to be developing my theorem then. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you don't already know an answer, you'll probably know an answer through the through the episode. Well, I know so much about him, so, but I really hadn't surprised me because you turned the story around on me. I mean, the the question around on me. So, yep. so now now I'm going to be distracted the whole episode in trying to figure out what my answer is going to be. What's the answer? It's exciting. So let's get into basically who were on either side. So we have England. The Netherlands, the Liberian Peninsula, which is Spain, Portugal, um, Denmark, Germany, Italy, um, the Pupil State, the Pope, the Pope, help me. Vatican. Vatican, yeah, that, that's easier to say. Um, and then like 20 other different countries that, and so. Basically, all of the big countries that currently still exist in Europe, big countries, mind you, were involved in this war. And the big countries that are around today were the big countries around during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, Geographically, before we get into the war part, geographically, the Napoleonic Wars wasn't just uh, explosions and dead guys and fighting and crazy hats. It also, I mean, played a huge part on European civilization. Um, Napoleon drew up tons of new plans. Like, for instance, uh, Austria, Russia, and Prussia basically got rid of Poland as a country. Um, They're like, hey, we're important. We're more important than you. You don't get to be Poland anymore. Um, So Napoleon came back and recreated Poland. He also recreated a lot of, or not recreated, he created a lot of different little city-states. Not city-states, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, uh, he created, especially, uh, what is the, the famous one, uh, Westphalia. Um, he created the Confederation of the Rhine, um, which included all these uh, uh, all these mini little countries that, of course, yeah, don't exist today, um, because we all know who won Waterloo. Actually, no, we don't. Um, so, that being said, there was just, it was there was a lot of country swapping, lots of just uh, you know this country, this country just disappears one day, five other countries appear another day. This comes, that goes. Uh, actually, one of a big thing with history. See, we wouldn't know a lot of people wouldn't appreciate this because, like I said, we haven't done a medieval Renaissance episode yet. When we do do that episodes you understand the importance of actually a huge event. People don't really consider it a huge event at all in the Napoleonic Wars. But during the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the Holy Roman Empire was uh, disbanded um, in August 6th, 1806. Um, Totally disbanded. I mean, this this has been an empire existing barely ever since Charlemagne, basically. Um, so years and years and years and years of this existing, the Holy Roman Empire. And of course, that was under Austria. And so after crushing defeat from the Austrians, 
um, they disbanded it. Um, the uh, Emperor Francis formally dissolved it, and it had been dissolved ever since. Um, so that that's a lot of similar similar to kind of the stuff we talked about in like the World War One episode. Just tons of things changed geographically, politically. Things that were huge years before turned into nothing. Empires that had been so big turned into just jokes, basically. Um, so it was it was really game changing. A lot of these wars. Um, but however, you know, you still the Napoleonic Wars were still uh, wars back then happened a little bit differently that we would know World War Two and up. Um, wars were. You know, the armies met on giant fields out usually in the country, out usually in the countryside where there was open space um, for massive engagements and stuff. You know, you didn't have this kind of, you know, World War II, mind you, that like, you know, you're getting bombed, you're getting air raided. Like I was just watching a documentary about Queen Elizabeth during World War II. Um, it's a cool documentary. I just mean, but so, so you didn't have this just, terror war um that that's something that you know that this is different about the napoleonic wars really is it's not it's not like nazi germany is just imposing just this tyrannical death upon europe um and doing this blitzkriegs and stuff like that um war and stuff was very different and there was still the rule book which was abolished basically by hitler and by and by a lot of others um, Napoleon, a lot of people still played by the kind of war rule book, um, as far as terror, uh, terror, uh, methods, um, fear methods, stuff like that. Like that, that wasn't around back then. Um, which, like I said, speaking of which, this is a big thing about whether Napoleon was good or not. This is a factor that Napoleon, um, was nothing like uh hitler or any kind of other military dictators um napoleon came about like i said for through the 1790s started gaining prominence and really he wanted nothing but the best for france he uh loved his country he's a great countryman france had been such a great empire in the years before and he wanted to make sure it or not make sure he wanted to recreate it into what it was meant to be um, but not by, not by wiping out the, you know, uh, the country and basically his continental system imposing it upon the other countries. So even though, yes, he was a conqueror and, you know, invaded all these places and took over, uh, took over all this land, um, he he basically he did it like Alexander kind of did it. I mean, he's just overthrowing empires and creating new ones and abolishing them and imposing uh, treaties by basically if you just oppose them, then he'll fight you. But I mean, if if you don't, I mean, he's just going to invade you and you're just going to be part of France now. Um, there, I guess com compared to like Hitler, where he'll invade you and all the Jews go, all these people go, you're all sent to prison camps like. That's not how Napoleon worked. Um, it's not how the France, that's not how the French Empire worked. Um, even though, like I said, he, you know, he was basically just 
believed he was a conqueror and believed that he was just like he got inspired by Alexander the Great. He got inspired by Caesar and believed that France should be the dominant empire. And I just mean, there's plenty of other guys in through history that have believed their own country would be the dominant empire. So he just went for it, I guess, as you could say. Um, but that that's just a little side note about his personality and the Napoleonic Wars in general, as far as their seriousness and, you know, comparing it as far as how bad it was to how not like Germany it was, you know. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, we should go to how he really started uh, Napoleon, uh, how he started wiggling his way up into power, which is a miracle this guy didn't get his head chopped off, which several times he almost did. Um, There's also a couple of assassination attempts on him, really, in the early, in his early days, a couple of people tried to assassinate him. Um, but he just, he went to college, became an art, he went to artillery school um, and became the hotshot young artillery officer um was really great uh, a lot of guys were impressed by his uh, uh by his politics he was really really staunch supporter of france and this is mind you this is all going on in like the 1790s um during the most crucial parts of the french revolution basically the french revolution's breaking point the madness reign of terror all like the most bloodthirstiest part, Napoleon is kind of coming out into the light. Um, so he had extinguished himself as a commander. I believe he was promoted to major in an artillery and supported. Uh, there was a at this point, France, in this point of time, um, France was being basically closed in on all sides. Um, from joint forces of England and Austria, um, and they were just slamming into uh, France. Just basically because France, the French Revolution was just burning through everywhere. These other European powers didn't want the same thing happening to them. So they were like, we got to take out France. We just got to just blow them up, um, which I don't blame them. I mean, for the whole French Revolution is terrible. So they're closing on on all fronts, and uh, there was a key, uh, key city, key town called Toulon in France, um, and that was that was where the English navy was coming in. It was a port uh, that was militaristically very crucial, um, and Napoleon was sent down there. Um, not he didn't have full command, but he was sent. He was underneath a general to defend it. And uh, none of the French generals knew what in the world to do. They were just kind of like, oh, I don't know. But Napoleon had, like I've got, like always, he had a brilliant plan of defense. And the generals loved it. They were like, yeah, we'll do that. We don't have any good ideas, so sure, go for it. Um, and Toulon was, then he ended up winning Toulon. Um, uh, the city was retaken by the French. Uh, he personally led... Uh, the charge with his men against the city ended up getting bayoneted in the thigh in the thigh during the battle, uh, which usually when you get hit pretty good in the thigh, you start bleeding out, but he didn't die. It just magically passed in a safe area. Um, But after his victory, after he helped with the victory of Toulon, that's where his, well, by his own quote, that's where his, or my reputation began. Um, 
because within the city there were a lot of uh, French uh, quote traders because they had given over the they had surrendered the city to uh, England and Austria, um, and France. The once the city was taken, uh, it's known in history that the uh, French forces went uh, berserk upon the townspeople and ended up killing like everyone in the town. There's nothing recording that there's no recording history that Napoleon was actually a part of that. Um, but it is known that the French army basically swept through the town and killed everybody. Uh, but like I said, there's no record showing that Napoleon ordered that or well, he was in no position to order that he wasn't, he didn't have high command. So nobody really knows uh, if he was a part of that or had uh, taken part in that spectacle. But um that's just where his military genius started. Um, and he ended up just getting promoted from there. Uh, he's get he's put in charge of the armies in Italy, wins all these battles in Italy. Um, he just beats the heck out of Austria. Um, and then, like I said, he grows even more into power, goes to Egypt, um, does cool in there, but ends up pulling out um, and going... Uh, back to back to Paris um where he uh um did his what was it were the did his famous uh coup that's how you pronounce it coup uh and he overthrew the directory of France so basically he went after Egypt he went back to Paris and basically said I'm in charge and everybody was like yeah you're in charge man and he gets the throne basically um, and that's his earliest kind of point of supreme power. Um, and through through uh, years, let's see, it's kind of it goes his early empire goes into a, kind of a slow point, lots of uh, um, technicalities. Um, 1804, he was proclaimed emperor officially by the Senate. Um, he actually, Napoleon crowned himself emperor, actually. He literally, he took it and put it on his own head. Um, and he, so his first, the first years, 1805 is basically where Napoleon starts becoming Napoleon, I should say. Where Napoleon is becoming a world kind of figure. So 1805 basically is a year that brought, that just really brought out his reputation. Um, especially, and the key, the key event that brought him to such military dominance and prominence was the famous Battle of Austerlitz, um, fought on December 2nd, 1805. Um, that, that battle, uh, was one of probably, you know, this is, it's controversial saying this, but I would say Battle of Austerlitz was really Napoleon's first, first big deal battle. Um, I know that he fought a couple other battles that were were crucial, were kind of big in his early career. Um, with, oh, earlier career. This is really his early career. But Austerlitz was where, like, he it like this battle when this happened. Napoleon was like he was Napoleon now. Um, it's funny saying that, but so once he came to power, the other European powers didn't like it. Uh, this is just simplifying it. And he was met in battle 
by combined forces of Austria and Russia. So, so it's known, this battle, Austria is known as the Battle of the Three Emperors. Um, so why it's called that is you've got Napoleon, Emperor France, Francis, Emperor of Austria, and Alexis, Tsar of Russia. So all three emperors are present in this battle. So Austria and Russia are here, ready to just wipe them out, wipe out France, and take care of business. Um, but this is where they had no idea. See, back then, no one possessed the military genius of Napoleon. And Napoleon had a whole set of plans in his pocket. Um, so, like I said, this battle was a huge, huge engagement. Um, and Napoleon ends up completely outsmarting the Allied forces. Um, and basically, he set traps along his battle line, and they all took the bait and got humiliated. So here are the two most popular monarchs in all of Europe, um, close to all the world. You have the Tsar of Russia and Emperor Francis, and they get completely um, humiliated by this new emperor. Um, beat, soundly beaten, uh, and basically they got cooked. And that, and like I said, after this battle, Austria was such in shame that Emperor Francis ended up disbanding the Holy Roman Empire. And then Alexis just went and sulked back to Russia. Um, so that is basically up to Austerlitz. That's Napoleon's kind of the early, the early days and kind of the uh, refinement of his career and just kind of the, the putting him on the map. I should putting him on the map of Europe. Um, and also in 1805, you have the big battle of Trafalgar. That was before Austerlitz. Actually, no, after Austerlitz, sorry. Uh, Trafalgar, uh, big, huge naval battle. A lot of people have heard of that. Um, France didn't France didn't get lucky in that one. That's because Napoleon wasn't leading. Um, but Napoleon was very disgusted when he heard that. Here, he, he wins a huge battle, Austerlitz, and then he hears his whole navy gets wiped out in Trafalgar. So... Ever since Austria's basically Napoleon was master of land, England was, was master of sea. Um, that was always that would be a crutch in Napoleon's side. Um, but so that's like I said, that's the early 1805 period. So before we go uh, uh, further, um, do you do you have any comment on all of the stuff I just went through? How tall How- is Napoleon? Okay. That is a great, that was a great question. Perfect question. See this, see, yeah, okay, you're awesome. Anyway, um, Napoleon actually was average height. Uh, he was not short. This is a myth that came up. And I, no, 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 this is, this is such a great point because everybody always jokes about Napoleon being so short. And I'll tell you real quick the story of why he's considered so, why this, this joke has been that he's been short, Mr. Feisty Man. He was actually average height. He was five six. That was the av- like that was the average height. The reason of this being is in the French army, La Grande Armée, um, they Napoleon had his famous Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard was under his direct control. The Imperial Guard were the best troops of the army, the toughest, uh, the most experienced, and the tallest. So, I mean, every man had to be at least six feet, 
you had some guys being, you know, I mean, six to seven feet. I mean, huge. I mean, really, that was a requirement. You had to be huge to be in the Imperial Guard. Um, and mind you, this is his person, Napoleon's personal command. Um, they'd always be kept to the rear protecting him. So he would hang around them so much. He'd hang around all these six feet, seven feet guys. And that's how this kind of joke came about of him being so short is because when he hung around these guys, he looked like a midget compared to these guys. That's the only reason that he's made fun of because of that. Um, all the other, all the other guys besides the Imperial Guard would have looked like midgets along with him. That's the only reason. So just to clarify that to all of you, this is a take home. Napoleon was not short. Um, I mean, he, he was shorter, but everyone was short back then. It's just the average height. He just looked weird with his Imperial Guard. He'd be, he'd be short to us Americans who probably because we are a product of all... Eat our veggies. Yeah. We're, we're products of all Europe because there are some European uh, nations or people, nationalities that have a better chance of getting taller than others. And my understanding is that French are one of those that are typically shorter. Um, but anyways, um, do you have any other uh, comments on the 1805 chunk? Um, so I mean, no, it's fine if you don't. I'm there's there's several more years to go through. So many many more years. Um, but really, if you look at it, you don't see much of a difference in any of the other rises of power than in that. I mean. He gets lucky, basically. Yeah. All these monarchs, they get lucky. People like them. Fate decides it. Boom, they're in power. Everybody loves them. In many ways, his rise of power was a lot like Adolf Hitler's. In a way. Just yeah, of- because you, you have the kind of excuse that, hey, the country is being ripped apart from the inside. We don't need to do this. I have the, I have the medicine. Y'all listen to me. That's yeah. how Hitler kind of got. Hitler was like, "Hey, we got treated so bad in World War One, I, I can bring you know Germany back to power." But of course, I'm not comparing. You know, I'm comparing. We're comparing what how Hitler and how Napoleon came to power. Not comparing the two guys as far as their ideals. Yeah, as far as I know, Napoleon was probably actually more kind-hearted than most um, British monarchs. Just from what I know of him, most British monarchs were pretty ruthless. Um, yes, very ruthless. Most of them, especially the Tudors. Um, and especially long- militaristically, too. Um, England had a, they had a very, very rough army. Um, their army was mostly, and during the Napoleonic Wars, their army in Europe was basically comprised of, I mean, heavily... It's basically like 80% Irish. And Irish people back then and up to many more years after were not treated very well. And they were treated and they were considered to be basically the cream of society and basically scum. Um, That's how they were treated. And that's just how they just that was their reputation. And being scum, a lot of them tended to start acting like it. And so the English army had severe penalties and, I mean, tons of hanging. If you looted or if you were caught with anything or, you know, if an officer just didn't like you, you got hung. 
or you got some other awful punishment. Um, when France was more of a citizen's army, as they call it, France, there were Frenchmen in that army. Um, the entire La Grande Armée were uh, early, I should say, early Napoleonic Wars, like we're talking about now, were free Frenchmen, and they they were all there for the same cause, basically. Um, you, I guess everybody's on the same page, I should say. When England, you, you don't have that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Irish. Anyway. Irish have always been known for their skills in battle. And- oh, you know, and I don't want to degrade. I, the Irish troops were bloodthirsty on the battlefield. They they were great. Um, but we'll, we'll get to England's side of things. They, um, they- but I guess suppose we'll have to move on to 1806 period. Um, uh, not tons of political diplomatic stuff. Um, he's Napoleon's name in Kings names his own brother, the King of Naples. He appoints other family members left and right. Um, this is when, yeah, he creates, uh, the kingdoms of Saxony and Westphalia and claims himself quote protector. Um, and so he's doing all, he's booming politically. Uh, this is where Prussia, um, comes in the picture. Prussia had not, Prussia had been kind of quiet, um, during Napoleonic's first uh, like first uh, rises to power, they got burned out. Um, they Russia had been burned out from the Revolutionary Wars. Um, Prussia ends up joining uh, Britain and Russia against Napoleon. Um, so they they declare war um, and basically say, "Well, if you can't if you can't defeat Napoleon, we're going to defeat Napoleon." Um, so they get they get kind of their heads get a little bit too big for the britches. Um, but the thing about Prussia at this point was uh, Prussia's Prussia's military was not what it was. Prussia had a very, very big reputation in the revolutionary time period, 1700s around that time period. They had, they had the reputation of being just the Prussian black. Basically they were known as fierce fighters. They had the best cavalry. And were known for their decimations of of enemies, um, but at this point, all of the famous generals were all old. They're all old guys. They all hated each other. Nobody liked each other. No one could agree with each other. Um, they're all just kind of you know. And the troops are all untrained, undisciplined, not really good force, not what they were. Um, so they end up. They go. Napoleon fights a big battle with them at Jena. Um, and destroys them completely wipes out um, the Prussian army basically so Prussia gets humiliated completely gets basically routed and flees for their lives um, and were basically tamed for a couple of years um, super humiliating blow um, but nothing could match uh, at this point nothing could match Napoleon's genius uh, so that that's kind of uh, the the highlight of 1806 is just basically Jena, um, and that's that that kind of chunk of time period. Before move on to the 1807 time period, is I wanted to uh, mention one thing I left out. Um, I know I've said tons of stuff; it's a lot, but um, 
when Napoleon rose to when he finally got to power, he appointed he started appointing um, his generals, which uh, the the French way is they're called marshals. Um, they're the word marshal floats around all of Europe, but the real marshals are Napoleonic or Napoleonic um, marshals. So basically, he Napoleon starts appointing his generals, his general staff, and um, it there's he appointed twenty six of them throughout his whole career, but all twenty six were not appointed at the same time. They slowly kind of got appointed, um, but these guys were the top dogs next to Napoleon. Um, there was no other monarch around that had so much power as they did. They were uh, um, under Napoleon, they were the most powerful. Um, these guys were just showered with titles. It depended on their victories in battle. Um, if they had won a battle, boom, Napoleon makes him king of this, prince of that. All these guys had just the most illustrious titles, um, very, very flamboyant guys. Um, and basically, this group of guys, the marshals under Napoleon, were some of the best and at the same time worst generals a military leader could ever have. Um, that I would say that out of the 26, there's a small handful of actually good ones. Most of them... You know, this it's controversial. You know, you look at their performances, Napoleon's generals, you know, performances in battle through all of these years. But really, if you come down to it, most of his marshals were kind of stupid and were very incompetent. Um, there were only, there's a little handful that were actually pretty good. Um, uh, of course, one, one to name uh, the famous Marshal de Vaux. One of the best marshal, uh, Marshal Sewell, uh, Marshal Massena, Marshal Lanay, Marshal Bessier. Um, those were kind of the 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 best under Napoleon, and most of them too under him were some of his close friends, Napoleon's. Um, those were the real, the the ones I just mentioned were really the kind of uh, the most prominent, and the most skilled. Um, the rest were either kind of old or just kind of incompetent i forgot i mean there's nay too there's marshall nay um a lot of people know him from waterloo he's cool um you just have there's it's just a lot of off and on stuff like here's a marshal that does amazing in this battle and then gets routed the next battle you just have this kind of inconsistency and it's just a dumb inconsistency because it's like what the heck like why why are you making stupid mistakes when you just won this huge battle so it's just it's just kind of controversial, um, but I just wanted to mention that um, mention their their kind of story because they they play a huge part in the Napoleonic Wars because they were so so uh, robust and larger than life, and some of them were kings too. <laughs> um, but so they're they're most of them, all of them are with Napoleon, even in the Revolutionary Wars, all the way up to eighteen fifteen. Um, uh, record of two of them, uh, were actually three, sorry, three were killed in combat, uh, I believe. And, uh, a couple others were killed by firing squad after the war, after the wars. Um, so that's just, it's a small number of 
those who uh, were killed in combat. Um, but most of them survived to be pretty old. And that ended up getting, uh, still remaining, their, keeping their titles after the wars, um, all the way up to 1830s, 1840s. Um, but so that was a side note talking about them. We're going to jump to is the next chunk of 1807 um next but before we go to 1807 you have any comments about the 1806 or marshals in general uh, uh, touchdown oh, wrong response um yeah so marshals marshals film marshals that's the interesting thing that is the effect that you still see in well, the 20th. Not, not field marshals well, in the 20th century, field marshal is the word for a, a commander, command, uh, basically a general of the entire army mm -hmm. um, during a battle. But what, um, I, but I was pointing out is that the name marshal or field marshal, it was still used in Europe clear into the 20th century. That's what I was going after. The effect that, and the interesting fact that marshal was still a rank term in Europe clear up until. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1940s, and I don't know if it continued after that or not. I'm not 100% certain. Since Germany really hasn't had a grand army since then, I don't know that there has been another field marshal in Germany. Um, one thing that I did want to point out is, and one of my favorite subjects, and and it's been a while since I researched it, but was the Barbary Coast incident, which happened. I forget, it was in between like 1805 to like 1810, I think is the expanse of it. But it's really where the Monroe Doctrine broke down in the U.S. Um, and the U.S. So, funny thing, Barbary Coast, which is North Africa, um, was there was pirates there. And if you passed the Mediterranean, you had a good chance of getting your ship stolen or, you know, captured by pirates and then you get held captive. And so many times US war uh, US ships would go through their trading and they would get captured. And in this uh it was actually Thomas Jefferson who was president whenever this happened. Um he found out that both the French and the British were paying the Barbary Coast pirates not to attack their ships. They were, instead of going down there and just wiping out the Barbary Coast pirates, they were just paying the money to keep them from attacking their ships, which is kind of funny and really weird at the same time. Um, anyways, that's where, that's really where the U.S. Marine Corps got its um, first, well, the Marine Corps was using the um, Revolutionary War, but that's really the first time that the Marine Corps got its first boost of adrenaline and really got its... Uh, got its um, first battle, really. The funny thing, though, is the first battle the Marine Corps was was involved in on a scale outside of like the Revolutionary War, because technically the United States was not a thing then. There was only six Marines present at the battle, which uh, was against the Barbary Coast Pirates. But that, that's a, that is a interesting... Side note to the history of the Napoleonic Wars, and I'll be talking more about the War of 1812 later. I advocate this run to you now. Um, that that's that's cool. 
Um, but so we're going to 1807. Um, France battles uh, Russia, the Battle of Ulao, and Battle of Friedland. Both big, bloody battles. Um, Russia was getting antsy. France goes head to head with them. That's basically 1807. And back jumping through that, that's basically the main events. To 1808, this is when the Spain, Spain comes in. Um, Napoleon decides to appoint his brother uh, king of Spain. Um, and, you know, without Portugal's or Spain's consent, but, you know, it doesn't matter. He proclaims his brother king of Spain and basically invades Spain and tells Portugal that you know, he's your king now. Um, quote, bully. So, um, England didn't England didn't mind that too well. Spain, Spain didn't like that too well. And uh, Portugal didn't like that too well. So, here we go. Uh, the Peninsula War begins. Um, the Peninsula War, the Iberian War was the, this is popular as being the Spanish campaign. Um, Napoleon did not participate uh, a lot in this. This is where, you know, the Duke of Wellington comes in. He comes from England. He's leading English armed forces. Um, they come to Spain to to reclaim it. So you have from 1808 all the way to 1814. So you have 1808 to 1814, this war, long war going in Spain. So I just mean Spain is basically a whole separate theater from Napoleon's dealings. Napoleon is doing his own stuff, but you've got Spain. Spain was a hot spot. Um, Napoleon left his uh, one of his better marshals, Sewell, there with a couple other marshals, and they were swapping out left and right to uh, quench the quench the uh, English threat and actually rebellion. Um, Portuguese and the Spanish started uh, fighting a guerrilla war against the French. So Spain turned into a mess of problems. Uh, it's referred to Napoleon's Vietnam. Um, he should never have that were by now, you know, history textbooks put it. It's just Napoleon had no business. Why it's compared to Vietnam is people look at it as Napoleon had no business there. Um, I It's a little weird. I, I wouldn't compare it to Vietnam at all because Vietnam, you have the communist threat. I don't understand why it's compared to that because I don't think it should be compared because Napoleon is just taking over Spain for the heck of it. America responded in Vietnam because of the communist takeover. So I don't, I don't like that comparison, but anyway, so Napoleon goes in there, but what I should say too, I think why people say it because of that is just, yeah, I don't know why anyone says that anyway. That's just stupid. You're stupid. Whatever. Well, Whoever it, made that thing, you're stupid. It really, um, they really discount the U.S. service members in Vietnam by saying that. And for some reason, there is a big group of people out there. I personally know somebody who just assumes and listens to it and listens to their reasoning and doesn't even take time to consider that. Yeah, maybe there were some underhanded political tricks being played in some of the stuff, but still, U.S. service members died trying to keep the spread of communist, communism from. Yeah, I know you US. have like a communist threat, like you know what I mean. You don't have that in Spain. 
Spain was doing fine on its own. Napoleon just wanted to, you know, extend France. Um, so, like I said, Spain is a mess of problems. Uh, Napoleon overextended himself, should not have invaded Spain. That ruined a lot of things for him. Um, and it, it, it similar to how the Germans were fighting in Russia during World War II, Germans were trying to fight an offensive in Russia while trying to support North Africa. That's why German Germany kind of lost in Russia. This is why Napoleon lost in Spain and in Russia is because Napoleon is trying to deal with his own stuff, but then he's still got to support Spain. And I mean, Spain, the Spanish, the Peninsula War was a big thing um, in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, I mean, it's it's got its own name. Um, that's where England is doing its most damage, its most, other than sending money, this is where English manpower is being spent before Waterloo, I should say. Um, I won't go, because of time, we won't go too far into the, the Peninsula War. Just wanted to mention it real quick as just to set the stage pretty well. But so Wellington is in Spain with the English army fighting the hearts out and harassing and fighting random indecisive battles with Napoleon's marshals. Um, and oh, and, th- and Spain is where Napoleon's marshals flunked the worst. Um, Napoleon's marshals could not do anything in Spain. There are a couple that did okay, but none of them were good enough. None of them could, they couldn't just get him, just get Wellington, get him out, get him out. None of them, they were, they just wasted opportunities, um, were totally incompetent. All they cared about was looting. Like Sewell, he was a pig for looting. He, he just was obsessed with it. Um, the, all of them were totally a bunch of dummies down there. Um, so moving on from Spain, that's just setting the stage for that. Moving to the 1809 campaign. This is we're going back to Napoleon in France. Um, 1809. Uh, Austria, ever since Austerlitz, Austria had been quiet. Austria got just whooped so bad. They were, they were very, uh, they were just, they had been matched and they were keeping quiet. They were humiliated. Now Austria got their dander up and said, we are going to get back on the battle map. We're going to, we're going to have our revenge. So they start mobilizing, creating a huge army. Napoleon finds out. And is already warned. So Napoleon starts creating, um, mustering up uh, thousands of conscripts and getting ready for war. War is about to break out. Um, Emperor Francis puts Archduke Charles in charge of the Austrian armed forces. Um, This guy, Archduke Charles, um, was a younger brother of Emperor Francis. Archduke Charles was very, very good commander. I'll tell you, after this war, he just gets he just gets thrown under the bus. And this is something that that's kind of controversial and it stinks. Archduke Charles was a great commander, but nobody likes him. Nobody talks about. So here you go. War breaks out again with Austria. Austria comes back. Um, France and Austria meet. Um, But problems are already starting. Napoleon's army was. very widespread and we're trying to march to the battle um there were two towns 
that were the key points of uh, the area of land that uh, this first big battle was going to commence. Uh, it was Aspern and Essling, um, two big fortified uh, towns close to each other. That's kind of the hot spot of this first battle. Anyway, Napoleon wanted him, and he's trying to move his troops through these rivers and through the lakes and stuff to get to get to these towns and fortify. Anyway, since his men are so widespread, um, Austria starts sabotaging French bridges, and this slows this slows the French the French's uh, uh, approach. Um, and this basically started creating problems for Napoleon. Um, without the main support of Napoleon's army, it's kind of hard to do stuff. So Archduke Charles saw this opportunity and moved into strike, ends up defeating Napoleon at Aspern Esling. The only reason Napoleon is defeated is because he doesn't have enough corps up to, to strike. He can't do anything. He's got all his guys just still stuck behind a river still trying to cross. Anyway, so he gets he gets licked by Austria. Um, totally, I'm sure it's totally humiliating to Napoleon. Everybody's like, oh, okay. Um, Austria's like, sweet. Um, and they kick him in the teeth. So Napoleon ends up pulling back, going back, backtracking, cross the rivers, going back. Um, but within just like three weeks time, builds up builds up his army to like double the strength it was. So I guess, I mean, Napoleon probably was disgusted with it, but he responded with brutal mobilization. He just came back twice as many in his army, ready to have his revenge. And he had it. Um, the next battle, he met Austria again, Archduke Charles at Wagram. Um, Wagram was a big, uh, the second and the last of the Austrian campaign. Meets the Aust meets Charles in battle and just burns the Austrian army. Um, big battle. It was it was close at times. Lots of French dead. Lots of Austrian dead. But in in the end, Napoleon wins. So he has his revenge in a matter of weeks. So Austria gets smacked and basically, I wouldn't say humiliated again, but basically reminded you're going out of fashion. So Austria, uh, the Archduke Charles surrenders his entire army, and doing that, Emperor Francis uh, totally, totally had a falling out with Charles, and basically said, "You'll never have a command again." And Charles gets thrown under the bus. Charles, nobody thinks about this, but Charles beat Napoleon. I mean, he he dang beat Napoleon on the battlefield, and just gets thrown under the bus. Never heard again. Never heard of again. Um, so. Austria basically is taken care of again. Um, 1810 comes, not much. Um, 1811, not, not a lot. 1812, the early parts of 1812, Spain is ramping up. Um, uh, they are starting to uh, totally... Um, things are getting hot for the marshals. Wellington is uh, just beaten up on Napoleon's marshals, um, and things are getting really sour. Um, Napoleon knows that. He's trying to send troops down there, but um, drama starts breaking out between Napoleon and Russia. 
anyway, so which leads to the start of uh, before the Napoleon would end up invading Russia. Um, so in this, we'll we'll probably we'll we'll stop it right here at eighteen twelve before it gets really hot because right at eighteen twelve is when Napoleon starts amassing his forces to invade Russia, and that's that's a that's a lot of stuff to talk about. So we've gone so far, and there's still even more to talk about. So I think that's a good place to kind of call it for our episode. Um, do you have any comments about all the stuff all the way up to 1812? Blood, batching, ditching, ditching, batching, 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 batching. Everybody dies. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And I basically, I, I lied. Um, I guess... A lot. I, I forgot too that we we might do a few parts. Um, I I don't know if I'm able to answer the question until next episode about whether Napoleon was good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah, we'll have to we have to come back to that question. We can't forget about it. We'll have to come back to the next episode for that. But we may do some zigzagging. Zigzag. All right. Well. That will wrap it up for season two, episode three. And now officially we had we have officially the board has voted and we have officially changed the name of season two to ping pong history. <laughs> because we're gonna like back and forth. It's a good so, name. It is, it is. It's a solid name. It's a proud name. So we will see y'all in the next episode. Be we'll see you. Ahead. I Bye-bye. hope you learned something. You might have to listen to uh, my rant 30 times through, but, you know, you'll catch something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see y'all in the next episode. We'll see you. Bye.